What? No, you're... Well, I do have something. I just didn't want to cut you off <laughs> if, you, if you wanted to say something. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say something then. Okay. And you can just cut mine out. I understand. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to be better. Anyway, so you guys are talking about... Yeah, we were talking about Esther and how, you know, kind of like Noah's Ark, like when you're a little kid learning in Sunday school and everything's like romanticized and you've got your felt pieces and it's so sweet. Oh, Esther, she's like, she becomes a princess. It's a beauty contest. And now you're like, whoa. Yeah. One night with the king. (laughs) Yeah, it's it was not pretty. And I'm sure the officials that, you know, went around to look for the beautiful young women I mean, the you got to be creepy, right? Yeah, You're a creepy dude going to all these places, looking at all these young girls, being like, "Hey, I'm gonna take you back to the king," and if he doesn't like you, she's I'll probably in her teens, yeah. right? Yep, that's yep. gross. I mean, 18 at the oldest, but most likely 14 to 16. So this week we're talking about <laughs> Esther. <laughs> Esther herself. The one and only. The one and only. (laughs) What stood out to you guys from this message? I appreciate it also. Aaron talked about how how this how this was so messy in Esther and how Aaron reminded us that that was not God's original intent. His original intent was harmony and unity. I think a lot of times we focus on this bad stuff and say, you know, well, what about that God? What about that God? Mm -hmm. But it's we as people who have really messed things up. Yeah, this this book is just so interesting. We keep using the word messy. (laughs) It's just very appropriate, Mm -hmm. I think, given the circumstances. You have this just strange contest. It's so morally compromised in so many ways and a departure from God's vision for marriage. We haven't even... Aaron mentions it like briefly, but like the whole issue of lack of consent, right? And like having a thousand women essentially like conscripted into this process is just gross. And yet through that, what God does to save his people, mm-hmm. even though he's not named, right? Even though um, he's not explicitly named, he he's an active force working through people and you see his sovereignty on display. It's really interesting to think of like how often we're also not aware of his presence and his work, but he's always there. Yeah. We might not even call out his name or say his name, but he's still working. Also, those thousand women that got put in this contest, their their lives were ruined. Yeah. Right. That was it. You couldn't go back. You couldn't get married. You couldn't have a family. You couldn't do widowhood. Yeah. Yeah. So it's easy to, to sit like on our high horse in 2023 and be critical of Esther's mm-hmm. um, compliance. But yeah, I just have so many questions about that, especially from like a trauma informed lens, right? Being like subjected to this process as a young girl, yeah, never having been with someone before. Um, Taken out of her home. Right. Away from her uncle. Right. Maybe the horror of having to be with the king in the first place, but then knowing also if you were not pleasing to him, what the outcome would be. I think your, your life is essentially over. Whether you're viewing it kind of through a, a lens that's like critical of Esther or one that just acknowledges the messiness of the situation that she was in, in either case, seeing what God does mm-hmm. with her and taking her beyond those circumstances, giving her the courage to, to do what was right. And thinking about what she did, I mean, it, 
we we tend to be critical, but yet we can do these same things. I mean, here twenty twenty three, um, doing the same thing of denial, or you know, as as she tries to fit in and and do what she is thinks is right to keep herself safe. You know, we can do the same thing today. I think Erin gets into that later on of of what we do to impress those people around us. Maybe not the king, but circles that we're in or maybe in your job, being somebody who you're not. All the time and resources put into this process. Right. And it's like we do the same thing in our idolatry, yep. right? Like what captures our our thoughts, our attention, our daydreams, our, you know, we can steward our resources toward growing in a, a way that um, is centered on Jesus or we can steward them in, in a way that serves like our own false gods. Right. You know, I had something that just happened last week and I knew I was in it. So my best friend is her daughter's having a baby. I'm invited to the shower. Um, she was my best friend from high school. Um, I go down to the shower and I know these people are very materialistic. So I look at her registry and I decide I'm going to make her a quilt. So the thought of the time in my thoughts of what I'm picking out, making it just so, Mm. wrapping it just so. And I'm telling Dave, I know this is not right in my head just to impress it was so evident. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how, how does the gospel speak to that? I, I think God, I mean, God knows ultimately my heart. And um, he looks at me and says, honey, <laughs> you really do not need to do that. There's nobody you need to impress but me. I'm the one who loves you as you are. So, and why is he impressed with you? Because I'm created in God's image. I'd say he's impressed with you because Jesus has mediated for you when he looks to you and he sees his mm. son. Yeah. That's why he's always pleased with you. Hmm. It's easy to, yeah, do the external versus the internal. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Judy. Yeah. I have a feeling we all have <laughs> well, struggles that was, with that. It was Absolutely. just so evident. Yeah. And just, yeah, trying to make ourselves look righteous mm-hmm. instead of leaning on the righteousness mm-hmm. of, of Christ. I think everybody can relate to that yes. story. <laughs> that's a great real life example. Mm-hmm. That mediation piece, that's like where Aaron lands, though, in this message, even how Esther shows us or gives us a glimpse of um, how much better Jesus is and his identification with us and mediation on our behalf. Mm-hmm. God stays with her, works with her, is patient with her, brings her along. Steps into the mess. Yep. I was thinking about our spheres of influence and where God has placed us, being open to that and and letting God work in those places because he owns every square inch of the universe and yet he's put us in these spheres I want to say to do the work, but I don't want to word it like that. Um, to partner with him. Yes, to partner with God. And so thinking about our sphere first, it probably starts with our home, our family, our neighborhood, mm. 
our GC, our church, and work might pretty much cover the where we're at. And just, I know that I act one way at, ch- at church and a different way at work, and just making sure that I am being consistent in my actions and my words. It seems easier to be around the Christians hmm. than to interact with non-Christians sometimes and, and making sure that I'm speaking to their unbelief, even in those situations, being open to being used by God when he's placing someone in my path or even being aware of who's sitting by me at church or, hmm. or any of those things. So just asking for wisdom and then trusting that the spirit will give me the, the energy and the strength for the work to work alongside Jesus. And then also trusting the spirit to grow the seeds and maybe I'll never see the fruit of it while I'm alive, but trusting that God's doing the work. I plant the seeds and God will make it grow. So it's just thinking about all the spheres and then being willing to say for such a time as this, are you willing to step, you know, to step into your spheres? Are you willing to trust God and trust Mm -hmm. the spirit and, ask for wisdom when you need it. So. Mm-hmm. If I perish, I perish. Yeah. Yeah. That's some boldness right there. It really is. That, that's just, that's just true trust. Mm. And Esther is like, you see this awareness, you know, she goes from denial and whether that's from a place of deception or it's a place of survival, right? Given the circumstances, she goes from denial to this awareness of who she is being a Jew, but also her position of power the privilege she had available to her. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to us too and having an awareness of where God has placed us in this moment, this time, mm-hmm. who we are and being willing to, to speak from that place. And I hope in thinking about this in, in the con- context of our GCs and just element as a whole, like I hope people will feel encouraged that there's, there's a freedom that comes in being able to clearly see where you are at this point in time and trust that God is working and being willing to just step out maybe in those places of uncertainty. Yeah. But doing that for the sake of the gospel, mm-hmm. doing that for the sake of, um, so that others might be saved. It's kind of one of the things with Vashti where you don't know how she began. You just know how she ended. And Esther, you see how she began And you don't see completely how she ends. You don't see the end of her life, but you see the maturity that came about with her in the midst of that pressure cooker that she was in. And this tells us how we begin, you know, all of our messed up paths is not how we have to end. Mm. And, you know, she becomes, you know, through the help of people around her, someone who truly sees what's going on and decides to step in and do something as best as she could. And she's like, and if I die, I die. I'll, I'll be like Vashti in the end if I need to go. And that's, that's awesome. But how do we take this story into gospel communities in a way that, well, they can all have a beauty pageant. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think in our gospel communities, one of the things that maybe we could talk about is the places where we are, our palaces. You know, we are where we are in the season that we are, where God has determined. And in our place, what is the best way to represent the gospel in that place? Because it's not always having these conversations, trying to pigeonhole Jesus into the conversations, but in the place that we are, how do we represent the gospel? How, how can we make it be known? 
you know, that we love and serve and follow Jesus. And maybe if a relationship gets awkward and weird, if I perish, I perish. Well, that's what happens. But we are put where we are for a reason to reasonably speak about what the gospel looks like, not in a westernized American way of, do you want to go to heaven? But this is what God brings into our lives, the reality of change and goodness and grace. I think that's a good place to go. And realistically, most groups probably won't be meeting because of community dinners this week. So is there something that is there? A, I think that's great. Is there a way to kind of intertwine that with being thankful this week in over a meal. I, I don't, I think part of that goes to how GCs communicate with one another. And I think every GC is different. Like our sends out emails, we have a text thread with each other. And, and I think if the leaders in a GC are trying to make them think about, maybe they, they send that out in, in a text. Hey, wherever you are this week, the, the place where you are, the palace that you inhabit. Such with, a time as this. Such a time as this. As your, your Thanksgiving dinner or your work or your family or your friend, wherever you are during this moment, maybe take a step back in the midst of that and say, God, I'm here during this moment. How do I represent you better in these moments? And as just a reminder, hey, everybody, it's Thanksgiving. Think about the moment you're in that Christ has saved you. There's lots to be thankful for. So in the moment where you are today, just remember this. So one thing that strikes me and Esther, when you think about what led her to take those steps of bravery that she did, even though God isn't mentioned in the book, there, there's this perspective of what God is doing through her, his ultimate rescue of the Jewish people. And it makes me think of how we can, in a similar way, adopt that same perspective too. But what is God doing in our world redemptively? And it, it frames our own decisions and actions differently. You know, we can zoom in and look at it through um, our own lens of what benefits us or interests us or serves us as opposed to, okay, what's God doing through me, through my community right now? Talking about holidays, you know, the holiday is coming up. And notice how I can just talk right through Michelle laughing at me over there right now. Mm -hmm. A holiday is coming up and this, a lot of Jews thinks sets up the holiday of Purim. And it it may, I I don't think that's the purpose of the book, but explains, you know, why it's there. Uh, And we come into this holiday that's not in the Bible, you know, called Thanksgiving. (laughs) And I'm sure people have tried, tried to find it in the Bible. (laughs) It's in the (laughs) turkeys. They got to be there. But, you know, we're stepping into this holiday that isn't necessarily prescribed in scripture, but we can, I think, celebrate in a way that, that honors God in the midst of it. And I don't know, it, it's a good way of saying, you know, holidays, you know, the word holiday comes from the word holy day. And this really can be a holiday like every other holy day hmm. is a, a time to remember and focus on Christ and, and think of his goodness and grace. It's a great goal for our community dinners and our personal whatever we're doing for our Thanksgiving. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. A very element Thanksgiving.